0: Welcome to Fast Fiction.
1: Is that Miss Kirby? Miss Kathy Kirby. Speaking? Oh, thank heavens. At last. Miss Kirby, you don't know me. I'm Tracy, your grandma Annie's next door neighbour from number sixteen. I've been trying to contact you all Oh dear, is she alright? Well, Actually, Miss Kirby, no. I hadn't seen or heard her for a while, so called in to check early this morning. I I was quite alarmed. She has a temperature and I don't think she has been out of bed or or eaten anything for quite some time. I've been trying to call you all day and...
0: Oh, Oh, yes, I'm sorry. My mobile has been switched off. I've been in a meeting. So is she in hospital now?
1: No, that's what I'm trying to tell you. She refused to go.
0: So, so who is looking after her?
1: Uh, Up to now, me. But see, I've got small kiddies and...
0: Yes, yes, look, I'll be right over and thank you, thank you.
1: Oh, you're welcome. My family is very fond of Annie, so we'll miss her dreadfully. Miss her? Oh, oh yes. Quite frankly, I'll be surprised if she gets better. She's in a really bad way and, and she just hates being a bother. I reckon she'll just let herself go. Anne
0: of a Thousand Days I thought I would never get over Sammy's death. I was wrong, of course. Within a few weeks, I'd almost forgotten him. Even though we had buried him in the garden down by the shed where I kept my bike, I rarely looked at his little grave and eventually even lost his collar that had been kept as a memento. My father's passing was sudden and, to be honest, left my mother and me not only grieving his loss but also his income. I think our distress was for our changed lifestyle as much as for him. My mother's death, a good while later... ...was after a long, painful encounter with cancer. I was probably not unnatural to feel relief when it was all over. But Grandma's death was different... ...because now I was fully adult and, I suspect, beginning to think about my own mortality. The constancy of death changes attitudes towards it. But there was more to it than that. For it turned out that Grandma left me a legacy... Greater than wisdom and more valuable than gold. She left me her life. A good friend and neighbor had called me at work to say Gran wasn't well and had a high temperature. I had left immediately and made my way over to her small terrace house at Petrie Terrace. Seeing her condition, I called the doctor and described the symptoms. Then, on his suggestion, the ambulance. She was very weak and found breathing difficult. Even so, she was determined to talk a while. I I don't want to go to hospital, Meg, she had said after a coughing spell. I've had a good life and I'm quite at peace to stay here and let nature take, take its toll. I tried to bluster that she would get much better in hospital, but I'm afraid there was little strength in my words. Grandma smiled at me as she would a small child, then asked for a small wooden box beside the bed. I I want to give you this, whilst I can, she said, lifting out a flat, wrapped package. "I've, I've nothing else to give you, darling, her wrinkled, old fingers squeezed mine. "'and there won't be anything when I'm gone, neither,' she had added regretfully. "'Gran, you've given me more than anyone,' I said, fighting back the tears. "'You've given me love and understanding and a million wonderful memories.' <laughs> "'Oh, well, maybe not a million,' she said, "'and gave me a gummy smile before closing her eyes in sleep.' "'When I finally got home that night,' I sat for a while on the veranda holding the package, which for some reason I kept stroking while sitting with my thoughts and recollections. After a while, though, I pulled back the narrow ribbon and unwrapped the cheap covering to show a crudely compiled book. Four cheap exercise books had been strung together with sewing thread and carefully bound together with a covering of cardboard. This had been decorated with a collage of magazine paper flowers and inscribed in capitalized, childish script. Anne Dury's Journal, 14th January, 1929 I knew by the date that Gran had been seven years old in 1929. Obviously, this exercise book had been given as a birthday present, no doubt a luxury in the Depression. I flicked through the pages, noting the dates were not daily, nor even weekly. Indeed, they were quite irregular. But I recognised a few family birthday celebrations. Her wedding day, the births of her children, and, in some instances, the deaths. It brought home only too clearly the changing world in which we lived. Although the entries seemed erratic, each one seemed to highlight a special day. The last one was her birthday a few weeks earlier, when I had taken her for a drive through the Botanic Gardens. This simple activity had been written up in a spidery hand, recounting her enjoyment of the flowering shrubs, the beautiful trees, and the simple afternoon tea we had by the river. It was entry 999. The changing handwriting traced her growing competency in penmanship, and the words her growing maturity. But it was only later, when I sat down to read the text, that I was able to savour the real growth of the little girl, traced in print through to womanhood, then further still to middle and old age. The house was quiet with the intimacy of night, and I felt the great warmth of her presence. Her first entry was, of course, the first day of this long-term project. She listed her chores before school, feeding the chickens, watering the vegetable garden, and laying the table for breakfast. Then the walk to school, her friends, and the school itself. It was a full day for a seven-year-old, finishing with the family gathering in the evening to acknowledge her birthday and the pitiful presentation of the book. Then there were the evening chores and, finally, bed. Following entries described small accomplishments or gains. There was her first trip to the Saturday pictures, when she clutched her threepence in one hand and her sister's hand in the other. She wrote of her awe at the grandeur of the Regent Cinema in the middle of Brisbane City and her wonder at the height of the lace cement walls and ceilings. Later days illustrated the mixture of sad and happy events. Her wedding day, of course, when she shared with her book her intimate thoughts and fears for her new life as a woman. The overpowering emotion she felt at the birth of my uncle, her firstborn. Then the further delight at the birth of my mother and her younger sisters. She wrote of the overpowering sadness she felt on the day it was known that her youngest daughter had pleurisy, a life-threatening disease back then, and the stifling grief some months later, when the sickness finally claimed her. She recounted the excitement of the entire family when they had moved from their small four-roomed cottage in Highgate Hill to what was then considered a grand three-bedroom house in Petrie Terrace. Then, at later dates... Their special purchases, a dining table, a piano, and finally, the sheer wonder of a television set. I finished reading in the early hours of morning, when the dawn light was a mere suggestion on the horizon. The graveyard shift, they call it in the hospitals. I thought of Gran lying alone in the ward, her gaunt, frail body, just another number to the staff. No matter how caring they may be, she was a stranger to them, and, more important, they were strangers to her. I made a determined resolve. Whatever the doctor had to say, I would bring her home. The least I could do would let her die in a place she knew, and among people who loved her. My tears gushed down my face, and although I mopped them up savagely, one fell to the last entry, blurring the ink-written words. I closed the book and quickly began to get dressed, intent to beat the early morning traffic to the hospital. I was almost ready when the telephone rang. The sound echoing around the murky shadows of the house. The receiver was cold in my hand and the voice impersonal, even while attempting to be kind. I was too late. As in life, Grandma had left the earth in a quiet "'and predictable fashion. "'She had died peacefully in her sleep. "'Picking up the exercise book, "'I clutched it to me and kissed it "'as I would have its owner. "'Goodbye, Gran,' I said, "'with tears welling inside me once more. "'Then there was nothing more to be done "'than register Grandma's final entry, "'her thousandth day.' You have been listening to Anne of a Thousand Days, written and read by Brianna Cross. If you have enjoyed this story, please register your approval on your listening platform or contact us on fastfictionpodcasts.com. Thank you.